Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. On this week's episode, you'll meet Canadian dairy producer Sarah Sash. Sarah operates West River Farm in Rosedale, BC, alongside her husband, Jean, and brother-in-law, Grant. In her 12 years of farming, she has worked to become well-connected in the dairy industry and agriculture community, both locally and nationally, as she presently serves as the vice chair of the BC Dairy Association. Sarah has a true passion for industry leadership and communicating modern dairy farming to consumers, stakeholders, and policymakers. She loves connecting with other farmers and consumers on Instagram, and she regularly shares about her life on the farm of raising two young sons, running a family farm business, raking grass when the sun is shining, and attending a lot of meetings. I'm excited for you guys to meet Sarah. She is one amazing lady. And guys, it's June Dairy Month, so I am so excited to be sharing the stories of four amazing women in the dairy industry, both in Canada and the U.S., with you this month. And it's time to celebrate the hardworking people that get that jug of milk and the delicious cheese in your fridge. So I'm so excited for the upcoming episodes this month for you guys to hear. Before we get to Sarah's interview today, I want to take a few minutes to talk to you all about something that has been heavy on my heart, as I'm sure it's been on yours too. The past few weeks have been riddled with unconscionable incidents of anti-Black racism and police brutality against Black people. Most notably, George Floyd, a 46-year-old unarmed Black man, died after being arrested by police outside a store in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My thoughts and my prayers are with George's children, family, and friends. Sadly, these stories are all too common. We only hear about the ones caught on video or the ones that the media decides to cover. It has been said that when we choose not to speak against injustice, it is assumed that our silence means that we agree with it or we're okay with the incident or the outcome. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. The time for silence and being okay with this is over. It's time to move. It's time to learn and it's time to listen. And it starts with each and every one of us. I have seen many, many people and companies posting on social media that they are standing with Black, Indigenous, and people of color which is great. But what I'm asking, and what I hope you are too, what is their plan of action? What is your plan of action? What is next after you take this stand? Because going back to silence, because it's hard to navigate or it's uncomfortable to talk about, is no longer okay. I'm here today to tell you what I'm doing right now. And to tell you, the listener of the Rural Woman podcast, what my promise is to you. I started this podcast to showcase the stories in agriculture that have not been told, that have not been shared, and that have not been celebrated. I was so tired of feeling like our voices as women in this industry didn't matter. And now as I sit here and reflect 
on the past 58 episodes. I know I have missed the mark. I have left out the stories of Black, Indigenous, and women of color. And for that, I am sorry. And I will do better. If you yourself have been wondering what actions you can take to educate yourself and to answer the question, what can I do? I'm going to leave some resources I have personally found helpful in the show notes, but please don't stop there. We need to keep learning and we need to keep listening and acknowledging that until all lives matter, Black lives matter. One last thing I'm going to say before we get to today's episode is that I have made the decision to donate 100% of the proceeds from Shop Wild Rose Farmer for the month of June to the National Association for Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, where their mission is to secure the political, educational, social, and economic equality of rights in order to eliminate race-based discrimination and ensure the health and well-being of all persons. If you're new here, welcome. If you've been here before, thank you. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to today's episode with Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I am doing so good. I am so excited to have you on the Rural Woman podcast. Well, thanks for having me on, Caitlin. I'm really looking forward to this. It's been some time that I've wanted to do it, and uh, we're finally doing it today. So Yes, and I'm excited to be talking to you again because I had the honor and privilege of meeting you. We were trying to figure out how many years ago it was. It was either three or four years ago now at the Advancing Women in Agriculture Conference that was in Calgary, Alberta. So it's good to talk to you again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. To be in touch again here. Yeah, we just finished celebrating World Milk Day. That was on June 1st. And we're kicking off June Dairy Month here on the Rural Woman Podcast. And I'm excited because you are my first Canadian dairy farmer on the show. (laughs) No pressure. Well, it's a pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) So for my listeners, Sarah, who are unfamiliar with you, give us a brief description of who you are and where you're from. Well... I operate a dairy farm in Rosedale, BC with my husband, Gene, and my brother-in-law, Grant. We run three Laley milking robots and have been working together as a team for 10 or 12 years now. It's their family farm, and I've married into the dairy industry, (laughs) so (laughs) that's an experience in itself, but I wanted to be part of things, and their dad, who is no longer with us, was really good about including me in the business, so I've been involved in the business for since I've been here, basically, and then he passed away five years ago now, so our entire management team, until my husband turned 40 this year, has been under 40 all this time, so that's something kind of unique about our farm. That's very neat, and yeah, unique about it being under 40. So... How on earth did you end up on a dairy farm and what were you doing before (laughs) you came on the dairy farm? Well, I went to UBC. Um, I have a degree in Canadian studies. I focused on resource policy and human geography. And I was working in Vancouver after that for a publicly traded mining company. And my UBC roommate invited me to 
be in her wedding in Chilliwack. So I came and was in the wedding, and my husband is very proud to say that he's walked the aisle twice with me. So we were paired together in the wedding, and not too long after that, I continued working for a year in Vancouver, and I quit my job and moved to the dairy farm. That's wonderful. What a love story. (laughs) (laughs) Walk the aisle twice. I like that a lot. So. He always enjoys to say that one. <laughs> yes. So before we dig too much into your operation, I want to ask you an overall question. And this is for me and my knowledge, as well as the knowledge of other Canadians, as well as our friends south of the border. Once milk comes off of a Canadian dairy farm, how does it get on to the shelves of grocery stores and how do consumers buy Canadian dairy? Well, this was a curiosity of mine also, marrying into a dairy operation. I didn't know very much about dairy farming at all before I came here. And then the longer I was involved with the farm, I found that I really only knew about what we did to put milk in the tank and I didn't know anything about what happened after the tanker picked it up. So I developed quite a curiosity about this and became more involved in the industry to learn some of those things. But I think the main difference that you would find between dairy in Canada and in the United States is that we're supply managed here, which you hear a lot about, and I won't dive into the specifics of (laughs) opinion on whether that's a good thing or not. But for dairy, I really do believe it's a good thing. So all of us sell all of our milk, uh, in British Columbia's case, to, for us, it's the BC Milk Marketing Board. Um, And then the marketing board takes the orders and distributes the milk on behalf of the farmers to all of the various processors who are purchasing for whatever their needs are. So we have a few major processors in Canada as goes in most parts of the world, the processing community is becoming smaller and smaller as time goes on, but we fill the needs of those specific processors and then they would produce the products and deliver them to retail. Very good. And the one thing I do know about Canadian dairy as a whole, if you want to know that it's Canadian dairy that has the little blue cow on it. (laughs) That's right. You can look for the blue cow. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. If you are familiar with those families who are overly affectionate, overshare, and are completely entertained by their own shenanigans, then say hello to Nicole, Morgan, and Megan from the Laura Lynette Shop. The Laura Lynette Shop is an agriculture-inspired shirt shop that began in February of 2018 by three sisters from Michigan. The business is a combination of their middle names and a commitment to put family first no matter what life throws at them. Every item from Laura Lynette Shop is made by hand from the girls and their mom. Each design is unique to their style and every decal is pressed individually at time of order. The ladies want you to know that their hearts go out to everyone in agriculture during this time of uncertainty. They want you to know that your story is important, your hard work is noticed, and you are so very important to our world. Head to today's show notes for the link to lauralinetteshop.com. The ladies have also provided the listeners of the Rural Women Podcast a special gift of savings. Listeners will receive 15% off their purchase by using promo code WILDROSE15. And don't forget to check out and stay connected with Laura Lynette Shop on Facebook and Instagram 
Happy shopping, friends! So I want to talk more about your operation, West River Farm. So tell us all about the operation and what your role is on your farm. So like I mentioned, we built a, a new barn in 2015 with the robots. And we've been milking in there, obviously, for the last five years. But it's quite a change in lifestyle. We had a double five parlor before that, that we were running three times a day in kind of the build up to making that switch to robotic milking. My husband, Gene, leads us in growing all of the crops that we feed to our cows, and we farm about 150 acres of land around our main farm here. And my brother-in-law, Grant, is our cow guy, if you will, so he deals with all the breeding decisions and the day-to-day care of the cows in the barn, and we have two other employees that work for us, and myself and my mother-in-law, so that's the whole team. And in terms of my role, I do all of the business function side of things, you would say. And I also love calves, so I spend quite a bit of time managing decisions about things in the calf barn. I work out there every single Sunday. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see my adventures. Um, I'm not a daily in the barn kind of farmer, but I'm in the barn definitely once a week all of the time. And yeah, that kind of sums it up. And then, of course, I love to operate equipment when I can. So I always rake the grass. Sometimes I do some other things, whatever it is to to help out and get things done. I love that. And I love that you also love running the equipment because I feel like that is the best part of being a farmer sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Unless it breaks and then it is not a good part about being a farmer. (laughs) I really enjoy it. I didn't know how to do any of the things, obviously, when it came. And I will caution people, like, I thought that if I could learn to run equipment, then I could help out and my husband would get home sooner. (laughs) This was how I originally started doing it. And, uh, yeah, that didn't work. No. (laughs) Now now we both just work, and I know how to order pizza from the cab of my truck. But (laughs) on the upside, I really, really enjoy just being out there, like, driving around. So... That part of it is really nice. As long as no one's asking me to operate a silage buggy, which I don't enjoy and I do do sometimes, um, pretty much I find the tracker operating really relaxing and I like it. That's awesome. That's so great. So over the last 12 years, you've obviously made some changes and recently within the last five years getting robots, which is so cool. How (laughs) have, what have been some of the other improvements that you've made or even with these robots, how has this improved the operation on your farm? What has this done for you guys? I think one of the neatest things that I've learned about dairy in the time I've been involved is how constantly evolving it is. And it really depends, I guess, on on your resources, to be honest, like how much you can invest. And there's just always so many new and quality things that you could do to make your operation better. I think farmers really have an appetite to do those, if that makes sense. Like they, they want the best for their animals and they want to produce good milk and they want to be efficient and environmentally friendly and all of those things. So there's a never ending stream of things you could do, that's for sure. And uh, we definitely found that, that switching to robots increased our efficiency substantially. I mean, we can produce a lot more milk with the same number of cows than what we used to be able to. 
we recycle all of our sand bedding and there's some things like that that we do. And ultimately, on the human side, we have a lot. We don't work less. I really think that's important to understand about robotic farming, but we work differently. So we're able to be more flexible in terms of having our children with us or when we're doing things or how much, you know, of our own field work or tillage we can do, things like that. We started harvesting all of our own corn, like we bought a pull-type harvester. We used to get custom operators in to harvest our corn. Now we do all of our own stuff um, because we have that kind of flexibility with the robots that we don't have to be going and milking the cows all the time. So those have been some advantages for us. Right. And I like what you said about how with this new technology, it doesn't mean that you're working less. Like it's new technology, new problems, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Conveniently, the robots don't give us a lot of problems, but they have different problems. Absolutely. Yeah. But like you also said that now that you have that technology, you have more time altogether, more flexibility, (laughs) yes, to do other things like doing your own corn and that kind of stuff, which which is huge. And I'm sure the cost savings of not having somebody have to come in and do custom for your corn is big for you guys and is obviously an advantage. So that's great. So what are the future plans for West River Farm? Um, we've been in a substantial period of growth over the time that, you know, the last five years especially, we started milking more. We've been buying quota since we've been in the barn and all of those things. We've been buying some land and it's just been this major time of growth for the farm. So we're looking, both our family and my brother-in-law Grant and his wife Shauna, um, we have small kids we are kind of at a point where we're like, okay, if we can just settle in here for a bit and try to enjoy what we've worked so hard for for a little bit without any drastic growth or change, I think that's kind of the position we're at with our farm. We have three robots. If we want to grow anymore, we would have to expand to four robots. As far as I understand it, we're just in a in a position where we're like, man, let's just see how three works out for us for a while. So For sure. Getting comfortable there. Yeah, have the time to enjoy all of this hard work because I'm sure the last five years has been a lot. (laughs) Indeed, but I'm looking forward to it. I enjoy the management side and I think if we just manage for our size for a while and see what we can do, that would be good. Yes, absolutely. Well, and speaking of the last five years, I know for you personally, you've had a lot of growth and development in your own career. So... Sarah and I were chatting before we started recording, reminiscing about how many years it's been since we've seen each other face to face. Can't decide if it's three or four. But three to four years ago, when I met you, you did not have the position that you currently have with the BC Dairy Association. And for me, I didn't really know how to drive a tractor as well as (laughs) I didn't have a podcast and all of the things. So there has been growth for both of us since the last time we've seen each other. So let's talk about what made you decide to start participating in the dairy industry off of your farm. I think like I alluded to a bit earlier on the processing side, I was just curious what happens beyond the farm gate, if that makes sense. And I wanted to affect change in terms of how decisions were made and things that happened in the industry, where things were going. 
and I wanted to be a voice. Like I felt like I had a different perspective because I didn't grow up in this and I wanted to share it, I guess you could say. So I started getting involved and I think at the time that I saw you, I was already a delegate of AgriFoods Cooperative, which is a dairy cooperative in Western Canada that produces all kinds of products, not just dairy, but I had enjoyed that role. And then when I saw that there was a large election coming up for the BC Dairy Association in 2018, I decided to put my name in there and give that a try. (laughs) And I was successful. So that was really exciting for me to be elected by my fellow producers to represent our province and our industry. That's awesome. So you've had your position then for the last two years. So tell us more about your role as the vice chair of the BC Dairy Association. Well, I was elected to vice chair last year, which again, I did not expect and I'm so grateful for. I enjoy that side of things. Mostly being the vice chair is not particularly different from being any other member of the board other than that I would obviously take over and chair the meetings if the chair is not able to do that. But there's a lot of neat things that we do as the Dairy Association that I get to take part in alongside my other board members in terms of advocacy. I go every year to Ottawa (laughs) pre-COVID to participate in the National Lobby Days for Dairy Farmers of Canada. So I'm a delegate of Dairy Farmers of Canada as part of being a member of the BC Dairy Association. And then we do our own um, events in British Columbia of that nature. And the most important part to me of being part of a producer association is connecting with the producers (laughs) and making sure that I'm available to all the other dairy farmers in my province and am taking their concerns forward, um, whether it be provincially or nationally, and trying to involve them more in what we do in dairy and share positively back and forth with them and represent them well. So for me, that's what I enjoy. Yeah, that's very cool. And I'm just so blown away by the growth that you've had over the last three to four years and your voice and being able to be a strong woman in agriculture and voice the concerns and everything from your fellow producers. Like, I think that is so cool. And I it's so great. I'm blown away by you. I'm fangirling. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's strange for me because I, in terms of holding positions or those sorts of things, I just, I was disappointed that there are not a whole lot of women involved nationally in agricultural leadership. And I feel like a lot of people would like to be, but I don't see a lot of people putting their names forward or being able to make it to senior agricultural positions for whatever reason. And so it's really something that really, really matters to me that people see people doing it. And so I was like, well, I could live with that. I could just put my name forward. I could deal with it if I am not selected and I could maybe make some big change if I am. So that's sort of where I'm at with that. Absolutely. And like, I I think you kind of brushed over this, but it really is, there is a lot of courage that takes place to be the one that puts your name forward to say like, I, I can do this. Right. So I think let's, let's acknowledge this, Sarah. I know it's embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) but And speaking, frankly, I was given a lot of caution. Like I think people really supported 
the idea of me doing some of these things over time, but they really didn't want to see me hurt. So they would be like, well, you know, it's okay either way, don't worry. And I was like, it took me some years, being honest, to come to a point of courage and comfort with myself that if I put my name forward and I was not selected, that I was not going to just like curl up and die. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. I really had to come to that comfort level and I appreciate people who were concerned for me and who were like, hey, like, you should know that maybe this isn't going to work out for you. There's not a lot of other women doing this. And, you know, just so that you're not extra let down when it happens. And I was like, don't you worry, I'm going to be all right. (laughs) Right, right. And I don't know if other listeners will feel this same kind of like pull in them when I hear things like this. It's so funny to me because the people that gave you the word of caution love them. I'm so happy for them. And I'm so happy they were there supporting you. But I just think of the flip side. If you were a man, would they have given you the same words of encouragement? Sometimes I don't think so. (laughs) I think they're the first people, though, if I'm being honest, to congratulate me once I was successful. And they're like, yes, we're so excited. This is going to be great. So I think just... That makes it worth it for me, right? Like, Absolutely. I wasn't out to show anybody other than myself something, and yep. I think it changed the perspective for a lot of people. So, Absolutely. Kind of cool. After me, we had another woman elected to our board in BC, so now we're unique nationally, and we have two. I think maybe Ontario just elected a second woman to their board as well, but most provinces have one. Some have two, so pretty cool. Sarah, you are a trend setter. <laughs> And what a good trend to start. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's so many men who have been tremendously helpful to my career in dairy who have offered me to sit with them when I didn't know where to sit, when I walked into rooms or things like this. Like, these are the most helpful things that I found is if someone's like, hey, Sarah, do you want to sit at our table? And I'm like, thank you. Yes. (laughs) Stuff like that. Like, they have been there for me, and there's lots of them. Um, So I don't want to make it sound like they're not awesome (laughs) because they totally are. And I didn't know how they would treat me when I was bored. Like at that time I was going in cold and I was like, "Eh, what's going to happen to me here? And are they going to try to ditch me places? (laughs) Like I didn't know. And they have been nothing but fantastic. They have included me in things. I've never felt anything other than one of them when we're going places or meeting or any of that. Like it's not being weird. But in your mind, you can really get to thinking that it might be before you get there. Yes. So, Yeah, absolutely. And I always <laughs> like to say that uh, here on the World Woman Podcast that we are not man haters, but I just won't interview no. them. <laughs> this this that, isn't the podcast right, for fine. them, right? <laughs> then I can't tell you what they actually think about me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, it's pretty neat in that we do our grocery shopping, right? Like, I don't think times have changed so much that it's not mainly women preparing food and women buying food and all of these things. And to have that connection of farmers who are women contributing to decisions that are made in the industry, you just have a different set of knowledge about the way that dairy plays in our lives, if that makes sense. Like, I know what everything costs on the shelf. I know how it looks in the grocery store. I know how I use it in my house. And all of those things are important um, and can kind of add a different flavor to the conversation for sure. Yeah, absolutely.
Would you like to learn how to make cheese? How about learning how to make cheese at home with the modern milkmaid? Naomi D. Ryder is from Birdsong Farm in Armstrong, BC, where she dairy farms with her husband, Ben, and his family. When she was 14, Naomi got her first Jersey cow named Blossom and began making cheese, yogurt, butter, and ice cream for her family. No recipe was off limits to try, and luckily she has five brothers and three sisters who ate all of her worst mistakes. Naomi spent two years working in a cheese plant with an award-winning cheesemaker and has been teaching classes for eight years. She is releasing her first virtual cheesemaking class this month. As her student, you will receive lifetime access to a detailed pre-recorded video that will guide you step-by-step in making mozzarella cheese at home. Kits are also available and include detailed instructions and all ingredients that you need, except for the milk and salt, to make up the eight batches of fresh mozzarella cheese. Yummy! If you'd like to learn how to make cheese with Naomi, the modern milkmaid, head to today's show notes for the link to naomisbirdsongfarm.ca. Listeners of the Roll Woman podcast can save 10% off their order with promo code WILDROSE10. Happy cheese making! So we mentioned the people who have been supporting you and the people who have come before you and all of the things. Who have been some of your biggest mentors through your advocating journey? You can name drop right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think for me, I've always been looking for women in senior agricultural roles to look up to, and there aren't very many. So the ones that do exist really, really mean something to me, even if they maybe don't know it. Um, so Jennifer Hayes, who's the commissioner of the Canadian Dairy Commission, and uh, Marie McNabb is vice chair of Gailey Foods, so another woman vice chair out there in the world. Um, just having any kind of connection with them, like I chat with them occasionally on Twitter and I see them at meetings, that really, really matters to me. And then most of the other People like my banker, Kim Ross, she is a fantastic and fierce female who took me to the Advancing Women in Agriculture Conference. Our accountant, Denise Parker, is another strong and capable woman when it comes to agriculture. And then there's just been a lot of very helpful men. (laughs) So I appreciate them very much, too, and would want to mention them. That's great. So if you could give somebody who is thinking about putting their name forward for a position or even just somebody who is interested in advocating for the dairy industry here in Canada or in the U.S., wherever. What are some words of advice and wisdom that you would give somebody who is just looking at starting out in their advocating journey? Well, I think there's a couple of things. One is that I'm not particularly fickle about the definition of farmer. So I think that women are very cautious when it comes to taking on the title, (laughs) as I've seen you chat about before also. But I don't think that 2020 farming is as narrow as what sometimes we decide the term of farmer is. I joke that I farm a bit like a retired man. Like (laughs) I work in my office. I go to the barn one day a week. I do things differently than what people would expect. I rake grass, which is a cushy job. I have auto steer. Like, it's not, I'm not in the barn every single day. 
and I don't think that should disqualify me from participating in the industry and contributing. So I really encourage people not to downplay their farmerness, if that makes sense. <laughs> like anyone who is involved in in primary production in agriculture right now is a, a valuable part of the two percent. <laughs> so there's that. And then when it comes to getting involved further, just not everybody has different skill sets and values and things that can be contributed. So for me, I noticed that. I mean, I've been raised in forestry, and then I worked in the mineral side of things, and then now I work in a third resource sector. I'm used to working with a lot of men. I'm used to, you know, being able to have a beer with the guys at the end of the day kind of a person. And I think those people can create space going forward for all types of women who are maybe less comfortable. So I don't know if that makes a lot of sense, but I don't think that leadership roles should only be open to people who are, you know, type A aggressive humans. <laughs> I think there has to be space for all different types of women and perspectives. So I would like to see more people who are accountants and uh, live on the farm or who have knowledge of different parts of the industry start stepping into some of the leadership spaces where, where time allows, obviously. <laughs> it's all about balance, I suppose. <laughs> Right. The the elusive balance that people always talk about. I'm like, where where do you find that? Like <laughs> Yeah, it it does not exist. But I think that all of those different skills are becoming increasingly more important. Like if you can come to a board role with knowledge of accounting or with knowledge of governance or with knowledge of anything other than dairy farming or whatever commodity you're in. It just makes quite the difference to how you can contribute at the table. So I don't think people who aren't specifically heading to the barn every day should discount their ability that way. Right. Well, I'm going to quote what you said, and I think it's a tweetable quote. I'm probably going to tweet it right after we hang up here. But don't, oh boy. <laughs> don't downplay your farmerness. Like that is... <laughs> I think that might have to be the title of this episode because I love what you said. Like, it doesn't matter what your role is on the farm. Whatever it is that you're doing, you are contributing. And if you weren't there doing that, then would you have a farm or would farming be as easy or as profitable or any of the things that it is today? So, and I love yeah. that, that you said, like, don't downplay it. Don't say that you're not a farmer because you're not out in the field or out in the barn every single day. Your role matters and it is important for you. And I spend a lot of time trying to encourage people, like, don't question if you're a farmer. You just are. Like, it's just... Yes. Definitely true of you. So if you're wondering, you, yeah, you're good. <laughs> right. If the question goes through your mind in the day is, am I really a farmer? The answer is probably yes. Like <laughs> if, if, if you're producing food to feed yourself and others, yes, you most likely are a farmer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, this this leads me perfectly into my last question for you, Sarah. What is the most rewarding part of being a farmer for you? I just love being connected to food that's on the shelf in the store and understanding how it gets there. And that sounds kind of, I don't know, cliche, I guess you could say. But to me, there's so it seems like we're fighting this uphill battle for people to understand where things came from. And I 
do understand. So to me, that's something I'm really grateful for and want to share and want to find different ways that farmers can um, share that message without us just always being out there, hey, look at us, we're doing this, come on, pay attention to how this goes. It's so interesting and it's so cool. I think we have to find ways of being relevant to consumers as the times increasingly change. And who knows what will happen with COVID here as we're going forward. It seems like that's going to have a difference in terms of how people are interested in local food and how things get where they get and all of that. But I just find it extremely rewarding to be able to send something off our farm that can feed lots and lots of people and to be part of the process of producing it. So I love taking care of the animals. I love taking care of the land. I love raising kids here and having them just, my kid is seven and he has more knowledge of how to feed calves than I had when I was 30. So (laughs) that part of it is pretty neat because I think those are the little guys we're looking to in the future as we continue on. So absolutely, how to raise little farmers. Yes, the future farmers of Canada. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I took my son to Dairy Farmers of Canada last year and he, uh, met the Minister of Agriculture, Marie-Claude Bibeau, and he, anytime he would see her on the news now, he knows her. And I'm like, well, how cool is that, that my kid knows who the Minister of Agriculture is? Like, right. that's great. That's important. And we have female Ministers of Agriculture, both nationally and in our province here in BC with Lana Popham. So, I don't know, my son is used to fierce women in ag, let's say. I love it. It's so good. And his mama is one of them. So he's a very, very lucky kid. So Well, thank you. <laughs> oh, Sarah, it has been so good catching up with you. And I am just ecstatic to share your story. I just think what you have been doing on your farm and for the industry is just so great. And I am so, so happy to talk to you today. Well, thanks very much. I'm grateful for you having me. And certainly if anybody is at all interested in the sort of stuff I get up to and need support finding their next step forward or something like that, they're welcome to reach out to me. Um, I always have the time of day for that sort of thing. So That's please awesome. let the listeners know I'm available. Well, that was my last question for you, Sarah. Where can <laughs> the wonderful listeners of the Rural Woman podcast find you on the internet? Where can they connect with you? Well, they can stalk down the last five years of my life on Instagram. You can find me at sarah.sash, just on Instagram. And then I'm on Twitter under my own name and Facebook, obviously. But yeah, Instagram is the main place that I share about our farm. So that's where I would recommend. Awesome. And I will link that in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. No, sounds good. Thank you again so much, Sarah, for coming on the Rural Woman podcast and celebrating June Dairy Month with me. It's been so fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.